And here we are, folks, another highly anticipated episode of The Last Stand. The first and last bastion of hope that is the First Amendment and the free exercise thereof. This is the show where I say what it is most of you are thinking and the perspectives that we share as Americans across this land. Today's a special episode where I get into the subject of autism, what it is, what we've learned about it, and the journey that I've been on with it personally. And of course, a special story or two about the junior. Welcome to the show, folks. So um, today, like I said, we're going to be talking about autism and um, my particular journey with it, uh, and a special story, a uh, special story or two about Junior. But uh, if I hadn't told you, I caught a thirty-day ban on the Book of Face. I, I okay, the guy had it coming. All right, I called him a pig. He was calling America, you know the home of terrorists and, and evil invasion or evil invaders and terrorists and things like that. So I called him a pig and, uh, boom, 30 day ban. So, you know, I don't care. Uh, they're not going to stop me thinking or saying what I think, but because of the ban, I hadn't been able to alert the masses to the podcast and new material. So the people that I messaged to let them know that new material is out there, um, Thank you very much for being so kind and alerting others to the new material and to the show in general. Couldn't have, uh, I couldn't have raised my stats without you, all right? Which, um, just, a, <laughs> just an aside, the, so they do these, this analytic thing on Anchor FM, and apparently it went from like, over all the episodes that I have, it went from like 60 listens Okay, where people listen to it, you know, the 60, 60 total, you know, like like episode this episode had 18 listens, that one had 15, this one had seven, so on and so forth um, for a total of 60 something. It went from like 60 something to like 83 in like two days. And I have an established audience of 13 people. So welcome 13 people to the show. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, feel free to share the link. Um, as soon as I get back on the Facebook, I'm going to do a few things to kind of put the, the podcast out there into the world, uh, as well. Um, as soon as the book of face, uh, lifts my ban. So, um, definitely going to try and get the show out there and, uh, pick up more listeners, but thank you to you 13 people out there. You know who you are. I'm glad that uh, that I was able to reach. You know, honestly, I didn't know how many I was going to get. I didn't know if I'd break double digits. But the fact that um, that there are 13 people in the world that think that what I have to say is interesting enough to listen to uh, is amazing, and uh, you know, almost unexpected. I didn't think I'd break double digits, folks. Uh, I figured I'd have you know some friends listen. Uh, here and there, but the fact that I have 13 people now, 13 separate people that uh, listen to the show, uh, that's amazing. And uh, two, the other thing that's amazing to me is that um, this is, I mean, really, this is indicative of, you know, people out there that have, that are of a like mind, okay? And to me, uh I think that the more that we do these kind of things and get our voices out there, uh, I think that, uh, that that will be very instrumental in changing the course of where this country's going and what it's doing. And I think that we as people have more in common than we do differences. 
I think that the things that unite us are greater than things that divide us. And if I can speak to that, and if people listen to that, if they find it interesting enough to listen to, then, then to me, that's, that's kind of an amazing thing. And that's why this, this is so fun to do and so interesting to do. Uh, and I hope to keep doing it uh, for the foreseeable future. So thanks for listening to the show. Welcome, all of you 13 people. Get the word out there. Uh, and more of us, more of us, will be able to unite and get our voices heard. So without further ado, uh, let's, uh, let's get into it. Like I said, this is, uh, this is one of those times where I like to kind of depart from the usual discussions that I have about politics and things like that and just kind of uh, share some of the stories that I have, uh, especially with the junior. Now, Junior, for those of you that know me on Facebook, uh, you'll know that from time to time I like sharing stories about the junior. And uh, for those of you that don't know me, junior is autistic. And for me, the journey that I've been on with junior uh, and this autism uh, has... I mean, there's been profound changes in my life. And some of the parents that I've talked to over the years uh, about, you know, their kids and, and having autism and things like that, they've, they've all kind of said the same thing. You know, there, there, there was a time when Junior was young, and I dug into everything I could to figure out what this autism was. You know, like I said, for, you know, 14 years ago, I knew autism was kind of a thing, but I, I didn't know anything about it. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know a whole lot more than what I did, you know, back then when he was three and four years old. Not a lot's changed. Now, there, there has been some, some advancement in the studies, uh, and we've been studying this for a few decades. But to be honest with you, if you look online and you look at some of the, some of the research that's being done, there really hasn't been a whole lot that's changed. So, so what is autism, right? Uh, they call it autism spectrum disorder now. This is a developmental disability. They call it a disability that can cause significant social communication and behavioral challenges, okay? And that's very true. That, that is so true, especially with Junior from time to time. You know, you, if you look at people that have ASD, you wouldn't be able to tell that they have ASD until you try to communicate or interact uh, with them. You wouldn't know it unless you observe how they behave, right? Um, and, and you pick up on the fact that this kid's different. But the fact that Junior has autism, uh, I think, in a lot of ways, you know, if, if, if this is a gift, it was a gift uh, to me and his mother, uh, because it certainly has changed me in very profound ways. And those of you who know me from way back uh, would be able to testify to that, okay? Um, now, people with autism need a lot of help in their daily lives. Others uh, don't need quite as much help. Uh, Junior is, uh, he's somewhere in between. He's, he, now he's been rated on the scale, uh, as higher functioning autistic. Uh, and, uh, you know, look, he's only 13 now and I don't know where he's going to be in the next few years. It, it's been very challenging for me and his mother to figure out, okay, is he going to be able to, you know, when he's 16, you know, can we leave him alone at the house for an hour? You know what I mean? Um, so, it, I mean, it continues to be a challenge, but in, like I said, in a lot of ways, it has been, this has been an amazing uh, and profound life-changing journey for both of us, really. <clears throat> so, people with autism, 
have problems with social environments, you know, social, emotional communication skills. Uh, they might repeat certain behaviors and uh, are kind of adverse to change in routine. Uh, a lot of autistic people, kids that I know uh, or know of, um, are the same way. They, they don't, they do not like changes in their routines uh, to a degree, okay? Um, and that's one of the things uh, that I had to learn with Junior. Now, Junior's got a routine with his mom, and he knows exactly how that all goes over there. When he comes to my house, I'm sort of the dynamite that gets thrown into the mix, right? Um, I don't, you know, over time, I have tried not to uh, create routines. I mean, apart from, you know, look, breakfast is breakfast time, uh, lunchtime, dinner time, you know, <clears throat> things like that, you know, bedtime. Uh, and if, so Junior, you know, who doesn't like changes in routines, now does not <laughs> like changes in routines in two different places. So he's been able to figure out what the routine is at home at, with his mom. And what the routine is here at the house, which is there's not really a routine. And, and, and that's kind of amazing by itself. But for, the, for those of you who don't have a whole lot of exposure to autistic kids or autistic people, um, here's some of the, the uh, signs of autism, okay? Especially when they're young. You'll see this when they're young. They diagnose kids uh, pretty early on between the ages of two and four uh, as whether, you know, whether or not they're autistic. Um, Junior was diagnosed, I believe, somewhere around three years of age, two or three years of age. I mean, it wasn't that long after after his mother and I uh, kind of started leaning in that direction when he was diagnosed. But um, so kids with autism you'll notice that they may not point to objects to show their interest in that object, okay? They won't look at objects when another person points at them. They have trouble relating to others or seem not to have an interest in other people. Uh, they avoid eye contact, um, and that is particularly true about Junior. Junior would never look you in the eye. He would never look you in the face. Um, now he's, uh, with me at least, I know, uh, that's changed, but that was very true at one time. Um, autistic kids have trouble understanding other people's feelings. Although, and I will say this, that, that never seemed to be a problem with Junior. Junior used to get very upset when he'd hear a baby cry or hear the distress from another young child. Um, and he didn't like it. Oh, God, he didn't like it. Autistic kids prefer not to be held. They, they don't like a whole lot of touching or holding or hugging or, you know. And Junior's kind of that way. Autistic kids appear to be unaware when people talk to them, okay, but respond to other stimuli. That's certainly true of Junior. I even told a story about that once. Sometimes they may be very interested in people, but they don't know how to talk or play or, or relate to them. Um, and that's true of Junior, too. Uh, I've written about that. Um, autistic kids will repeat or echo words uh, or phrases that have been said to them or, or that they've heard, okay, in place of normal language or normal conversation. Uh, they have trouble expressing... Uh, their wants or needs using the typical words and phrases that, that we'd be used to with regular kids. They don't do a whole lot of imaginative uh, play, you know, sort of like uh, pretend games. Uh, they don't do a whole lot of that. They repeat things over and over again, which is true with Junior. Um, they don't like routine changes. And... Um, they have unusual reactions to the way things smell, taste, look, or feel, right? And that's true for Junior, too. You know, if you, it, one of the things that I do to throw a stick of dynamite into things, into the routine, is to introduce him to new foods, right? And his reactions 
to those foods are, I mean, he could get an award for his acting ability, right? And, you know, the funny thing is, you know, when he's done, you know, dying over the new thing, uh, I'll ask him, was that good? And um, nine times out of ten, he'll tell me, yeah, yeah, that was good. Yeah. You, you want some more? No. No, he, he doesn't want any more. Um, but, you know, so these are some of the signs that you'll see in autistic kids. And, I, and I'm sure there's other, other things out there, you know, parents that, you know, other parents of autistic kids may have seen some things uh, that are different than that. But that seems to be the foundation of it, right? Now, for, uh, I think just before Junior turned two, I went to Afghanistan. This is, uh, well, actually, he was, let's see, he was born in, uh, so he was about one years old uh, when I went to Afghanistan. And um, so a lot of these these things, you know, I would just, you know, talk a little bit with Michelle about when I had the chance to talk to her. Um, and a lot of these things I weren't, pre- you know, I wasn't present for. So, um, but certainly when I got back from Afghanistan, I noticed these things too. Um, and in fact, I, I seem to remember, and I could be wrong about this, but I seem to remember watching him, uh, you know, after I got back, watching him. And listening to some of the things that Michelle was telling me, and I remember saying either to her or to myself, I don't, I don't remember, but I remember thinking, I'll bet you he's autistic. And of course, eventually we had him tested, and yes, uh, of course, he's autistic. Um, I remember taking him to the park, and he would, he would walk along chain link fences. And just kind of look at the chain link fence. Now, you know when you're going by something kind of like really fast. And things will be a blur except where you kind of choose to dart your eyes. And you'll see that that picture in your mind for just an instant. instant. Um, that seems to be what Junior was doing whenever he'd walk along these fences. That was just That was just one of the signs that we saw. Avoiding eye contact, um, you know, and and the the gibberish. Instead of using words, the gibberish that he would convey, you know, um, kind of like that sing song gibberish uh, that he used to do, um, and still does. Rarely now, but still, from every once in a while, he still makes you know, kind of like a gibberish talk, um, and. Um, that was one of the things that we had noticed, you know, when he was, when he was like two, you know, he'd be interested in people, right? Because he'd follow them around, but he wouldn't know how to talk or play, you know, or interact with them. And, and that was kind of tough because I was trying to figure out, you know, I know he's interested in what the bigger kids are doing, uh, you know, and what the other kids are doing, but he, he, he never really spoke out to them. You know what I mean? And, of course, I mean, they were aware that he was there. But, you know, it doesn't take long to kind of know that, hey, this is, a, this is a different kid, right? But usually, Junior would follow, you know, one or two people around um, and kind of get himself into the mix of other people and then just sort of stand off to the side, so to speak, um, and kind of participate by not participating, so these were the things that Michelle and I saw, and I'm sure if I had Michelle on, she could probably tell you more, um, but I definitely noticed those things. And when he was diagnosed as, you know, officially diagnosed as having autism, I, I remember thinking, what is, what's going to happen to him? You know, how is he going to be? You know, is he going to be a normal kid? is he going to be able to do the things that normal kids do? Am I going to be able to talk to my boy the way parents talk to their children? And honestly, I think that that is something that parents of autistic kids think about uh, a lot about. And in fact, I, I, you know what? All parents, whether, whether your kid's autistic or not, I think all parents, especially mothers, have this thought or this question, am I going to be good enough for my kid? 
Am I going to be a good enough parent? Can I be a good parent? Will I be a good parent? Uh, and will I be able to respond to the needs of my child? I, th- I think all parents go through that. But with Nick, you know, having autism and not knowing a whole heck of a lot about it, uh, you know, that was definitely uh, a question in my mind. Am I going to be able to be a good father to my child? And I know Michelle had those same questions. Am I, you know, I'm sure. I, in fact, I know that Michelle had those kind of questions. Am I, what am I, how am I going to be? Am I going to be able to be a good enough mom for my kid? Um, I know she asked that question. And, uh, and I'll, conve- I'll convey how I know that later. But, but isn't, that, that's a question that all parents have, I think. Don't you? That, 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 that's a question that all parents have. We all want to be good parents to our children. At least I, I hope that most parents do. And for me, that was really the driving force, the, the motivator behind me digging into the, uh, to the whole autistic, uh, trying to understand autism and what causes it. And, you know, uh, you know, for a while there, you know, I felt bad. You know, because, I mean, not knowing how my kid was going to be and just trying to deal with how he was and not understanding it at the time, uh, you know, looking into what causes autism or what they think causes autism and all of that, uh, really wanting to be responsive to, to Junior was the reason why I dug into it like I did. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't learn a whole heck of a lot. I learned a lot, but I didn't learn a whole heck of a lot with regard to what causes it um, and whether or not it's a condition that can be reversed. Now, of course, over time, like I said, uh, you know, if they could reverse it today, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would do that. Because he has been such a blessing to my life and to his mother's life, uh, to our lives, and uh, I don't know. But I, but I do know, I do remember uh, digging into it, and, you know, as part of the process, you're thinking to yourself, especially as a father, you think to yourself, is it, is it something that I did? Was there something that I did that caused this? Uh, you know, is there something within my family history or my, you know, my genealogy that that caused this boy to be autistic? Uh, and and it's not like you're blaming yourself, but you kind of you kind of you're kind of blaming yourself, kind of, you know, because you don't know, and you think it's got to be you, right? It's got to be you. And over time, of course, I realized it's not me. It, it just is. It just is what it is. And every person, every parent, it, you know, has their process in, uh, you know, accepting it and coming to understand it and forming uh, just as good a relationship, just as special a relationship with their kid as they do, you know, as parents of normal kids do with, with their kids. But I, I do remember, you know, sitting on the porch thinking, God, you know, is there some way I can change this? Is there something that I did? And, you know, I, I, honestly, I hope I'm the only one that's ever thought that or, or one of the few, but I, but I know people think that. But I, I just had to come to accept that there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. You just have to accept what is. And if you're inclined to believe this, uh, and uh, for me, I came to the conclusion after years of understanding it, accepting it, and forming the relationship and bond that I have with my boy, uh, 
uh, I came to the conclusion that this had to have been a gift from God. A gift. Because it changed so much about myself. It changed a lot about... uh, It changed a lot in, you know, both of our lives, Michelle and my lives. Junior has been a blessing from our perspective. And I think a lot of parents think that way as well. And you sort of come to that conclusion when there's nothing else to look to. I mean, I only found one thing that gave me some kind of, uh, okay, where did this come from? Okay. We know it's uh, a neurological thing. We We know that. But there was a study that was done... Uh, I believe in 2018, right? Uh, this study identified an association between paternally inherited rare structural variants in non-coding segments of genes and the development of autism spectrum disorder. The study was funded by the National Institute of Mental Health, um, and this was published in uh, that uh, the Science Journal. Now, researchers at the time identified a number of genes associated with the development of autism. Um, Many of the studies had focused on examining the inheritance of or mutations in portions of genes that code for the creation of proteins or other molecular products. But the findings at the time suggested that that was rare and that rare inherited structural differences in the non-coding portions of genes also contributed to autism. Jonathan Sabat, a PhD in the, uh, at the University of California, San Diego, uh, is quoted as saying, gene sequences represent only 2% of the genome. Uh, the next challenge is to identify uh, ASD risk variants affecting genetic regulatory elements. Examining these elements will help us understand the genetic components that contribute to the development of ASD. The researchers had examined the contribution of structural variants in non-coding regions of DNA called cis-regulatory elements to ASD, uh, also known as CRESVs. These elements control the expression of genes, and the researchers sequenced the genomes of 829 families out there, which included 880 individuals with ASD, 630 individuals without ASD, and their parents. Participants with the genetic mutations that are already well-established risk factors for ASD were not included in that study, by the way. So in this way, the researchers were able to focus on identifying non-coding inherited genetic variants that might be associated with autism, right? Okay, that's a lot of technical talk, okay? Uh, basically, what it gets down to is they identified structural variations in coding uh, and non-coding portions of DNA, uh, and they examined the inheritance of these genetic elements from parents to their offspring. The research revealed that deletions in protein coding areas of genes were transmitted more often from parents to offspring with autism than from parents to offspring without autism. They also found that CRESVs were transmitted more often from fathers to offspring with autism than from fathers to offspring without autism. So the inheritance of maternal CRESVs were not associated with autism in offspring. Uh, And even though they found spontaneous genetic mutations in the coding regions, Uh, of the offspring's DNA, no spontaneous mutations in those cases were found. So really, for a lot of technical talk here, uh, basically what they're saying is they found evidence to suggest that fathers basically uh, cause autism. (laughs) I mean, mean, that's kind of what it gets down to, right? The down and dirty of it. You know, in the end, this is, you know, it really doesn't matter. At some point, it doesn't matter. And all it comes down to is the relationship that you have as a parent uh, with your child. 
And I guess, you know, when you look at it, that is uh, some of what you see in the stories that I post on Facebook. The stories of the junior. Now, you know, as well as I do, about the recent Texas law uh, that prevents abortions after six weeks. And one of the arguments uh, from the left, you know, as they uh, contort themselves into pretzels and, and just lose their fucking minds over this Texas law uh, about not being able to have abortions after six weeks, okay? Uh, one of the things that they, that they argue is that, um, and I saw this somewhere, I, I, I guess I should have had it, but I've seen this, uh, this was reported in, in uh, a news report uh, that was identifying conversations being had, tweets being pushed out there. Um, one of the arguments that they, that they make is that, well, now if you can't have abortions after six weeks, then think of all the children that are born with Down syndrome. Think of all the kids that are born with defects and deformities. And now you're bringing them into the world. And that's why they argue for abortions after six weeks. I mean, that's what it's been boxed into, right? So basically what they're saying is because we have children, special children that are born with defects, deformities, Down syndrome, autism. You know, these things that make these human lives special. Challenged, but in the overwhelming majority of cases, very special. Uh, Not just for the child, but for the parents and for people. They're saying that because now you have gotten rid of the uh, after six weeks abortion permission, now we're going to have all these kind of kids, these kind of infants, these kind of babies being born. And I and when I read this, I I, I I've had to I I mean I, I was I was dumbfounded. I, I almost didn't have words. Are you seriously trying to tell me that you want to have abortions after six weeks because you don't want people to be burdened with special needs kids? I mean, is that what we're getting to? Is that the argument? I cannot tell you how appalled I was when I read that. And I I promise you, I'm going to get this. I'm going to find that article because when you get down to it, you know, it kind of ties into, uh, you know, abortion kind of ties into the whole argument with the vaccine, or at least there are people that say it does. I don't believe it does, but there are people who, who believe that the, the vaccine mandates and all of that kind of tie, their arguments kind of tie into or start to meld into the abortion arguments, uh, primarily with the statement of my body, my choice, Right. But I, but I read that, and I was, I was just dumbfounded at the idea that, that some moron out there would say something like that. We got to have abortion after six weeks because think of now all of the thousands and tens of thousands of children that will be born with Down syndrome or special needs or with possible deformities or health conditions. Is, is this where we've come is this is this where we are? I can't I I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm I'm literally I'm almost speechless about the thing. I don't I don't know what the, I have I got to wrap my head around that argument. And I've got to find that article. But I I'll, I'll tell you, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Uh and a miracle that Junior even got here in the first place. Now, many people don't know this, but back in 2005, Michelle and I were expecting our first child. And in the end, on the due date, the child was stillborn. And without getting 
too far down in, in into all of that, I can tell you that it was devastating. It was devastating to both of us. And when Nicholas was conceived and when when you know when Michelle was pregnant with Nicholas, uh if we'd have known that he was going to have autism or if he was going to have some other condition uh, as, you know, some people, you know, sometimes you can find out. Sometimes you can, you, you know, they can let you know in a certain amount of time uh, that, you know, your child may be born with either a deformity or a, a, a syndrome like Down syndrome. Um, sometimes they can tell you. But, it, but if somebody had told us, hey, your kid's going to be born with autism or with some sort of special need, I can't even imagine even considering going the other way. It's, it's unfathomable to me. It's one of the things that we need to change within our culture. We really do. Our appreciation for and our reverence for life, that needs to change. I mean, there's too little of it these days. It's too damn easy to take a pill or to go to Planned Parenthood and have an abortion. It's too damn easy. And, and, and I promise you, in an upcoming episode, I will get into the whole abortion issue. But it's just too damn easy these days. And life is so devalued these days, especially when it comes to the unborn. And it's something that we need to change. I wrote a story about the birth of Junior and, you know, how that whole thing, how it all came to be, so to speak. Um, and I want to share that with you. Um, but first, I want to uh, take a break and uh, go have a smoke because that's what I do. Uh, I smoke. And my lung feels great, by the way. So thanks for asking. But anyway, I'm going to go take a break. And then I'll be back. And I want to share that story with you. Because it really, that's the, that's really what I want to do here. It's not get into the minutia of studies of autism or other, you know, conditions of autism. I, you know, I, I honestly, at this point, I could care less about the science. About that. Nicholas was born and he's been a blessing. And he will continue to be a blessing. And that's kind of what I want to share with you here in just a minute. So stay tuned. I'll be back. Uh, and then I will share that story with you. So, what are you doing these days for vacation? Are you getting up at the crack of dawn to pack bags, feed the kids, loading up the Honda and blasting off so you can make it to the next airport three hours early for that flight to Disneyland? When you get on the plane, are you sitting next to people who take their shoes off like they're getting ready to watch the big game while eating a bowl of chips and a fat bean burrito they bought at the concession stand? And for the next five hours, you... You can't even remember what fresh air even smells like. Is this the kind of thing that you're doing? What are you doing? Not me, man. And that's why when I want to get away with friends or even with Junior, I head to the mountain cabins of North Carolina. Founded in 2008, Carolina Cabin Rentals is a family-owned, full-service vacation cabin company located in the northwest mountains of the great state of North Carolina. They have one mission, and only one mission, and that is to provide you with the excellent vacation lodging experience with well-maintained accommodations that meet or exceed your expectations. Now, I have a weekend get-together with some of my old soldiers from my old platoon, and I can tell you from experience that every cabin we've stayed in has been of the highest of standards. 
Most cabins have a hot tub to relax in and a large deck on which to sit and crack open the beers in preparation for telling some of the funniest and craziest stories and some of the biggest lies you never had to lie about. Because they're all true, as far as anyone knows. So, wake up to the sounds of forest animals making noise in them trees like they got something to say, and the squirrels looking in your windows like they're at a damn drive through putting in an order at McDonald's. Rise to the heavenly smells of bacon and eggs, and a pot of Café du Monde coffee, brewing just for you. The day's just beginning, and you ain't gotta be nowhere for nobody. You're on vacation. So instead of flying in the funk for hours to get to a place where you can't even begin to relax and enjoy the time with friends or family, maybe you should consider some time spent in the beautiful Forest Mountain Cabins provided by Carolina Cabin Rentals of North Carolina. It beats long lines, standing for hours, and it beats cotton candy and getting diabetes. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. this episode uh, we've been talking about autism and uh, specifically my experience with it the things that we know the things that we don't know um, and my thoughts about it my feelings about it um, and really it was never it was never my intention to get into the science or the minutiae of science studies uh, to figure out how does autism happen you know, can they prevent it? Uh, it was never my intention to get into those kind of questions. I, I think at the end of it all, I think what I want to convey to you is that in the end, it doesn't matter. And I think that every parent of an autistic child would tell you the same thing. It doesn't matter. It is what it is. And what matters is the relationship that a parent has with their child. And that's what I like to convey through my stories on Facebook is the relationship that I have with my son. But I mean, his presence uh, since the day he was born has been a profound, uh, has had a profound effect on my life. And, uh, you know, today, I wouldn't have it any other way. So... Uh, all stories about Junior start with one story about Junior. And uh, I kind of gave you a preview uh, of what this episode was going to be like uh, in the last uh, little bonus track that I did. And um, really, every story that I tell and every story that I'm going to tell in the days ahead starts with one story. And... I want to share that with you today. So until next time, uh, take care and uh, thanks for listening to the show. And I uh, hope, uh, hope to see all 13 of you uh, here the next time on The Last Stand. When you're older and have a child, you come to realize some things that perhaps you didn't realize or think about before. And the epiphany had come to me a long time ago. But every once in a while, I like to revisit the realization, like I did today, while placing seals and screws into a toilet tank at Junior's mother's house. The day on which we celebrate our mothers being mothers the day on which we express our gratitude 
the day on which we reflect what our mothers mean and who they are to us. Well, that day, Mother's Day, can be, and often is, any day, even before we know it. I remember when a mother first became a mother. She had been pregnant with her first child, and every month, every week it seemed, she had apprehensive thoughts about whether or not she'd be a good mother, thinking about how she'd handle being the mother of a child. Would she be good enough? It's the kind of self-doubt that I imagine pregnant women might have their first time. Now, she took care of herself and worked every day until it was time to take it easy. You know, in preparation for the arrival of her firstborn. And when that day came, we had visited the doctor in the morning, and it was then that we had learned that the unexpected had happened. On the day of the anticipated birth, the child had been born still. The infant heart had stopped beating. And the heart of a mother who had not yet held her baby had been broken. And the tears she cried and the anguish she felt deep within her heart. Only a mother could love and mourn a child not yet born the way she did that day. she would become pregnant again and through the long months even though she was overjoyed to be with child again the same doubts had of course returned and added to those doubts was of course the fear that perhaps with this child she would suffer the same fate as the one before through those months as I look back and remember it seems amazing to me that she could be excited happy and smiling and caring for this new child while at the same time counting the days until she could know for sure that this child would live. How hard she had prayed every day and every night that God would let her child live this time. Prayed that she would be a mother. Only a mother could worry and pray over her child, not yet born, the way she did. Through the autumn, and then into the winter months, the time had come. The doctors, very aware of what had happened before, worked diligently and cared for her as we watched over her through the final night. And ten days into the new year, our child was born. God always hears a mother's prayer. To her eyes, he was the most beautiful child in the world. And in her eyes, I could see the joy, the happiness, and the relief as the heartbreaking weight of almost two years of sorrow and worry had been lifted from her. She was exhausted, but her heart was filled with joy. Only a mother could have carried that much for that long. And in the days and years that followed, I watched her as she loved this child through every challenge, every self-doubt, and every uncertainty as to what to do as a new mother to her new baby boy. I watched her as she held him in her arms and sang to him soft little songs to soothe him when he cried. She spoke to him reassuringly to let him know that she was there. And it strikes me today 
as sharply as it did so many years ago that only a mother could have done all of this. Only a mother could have endured the uncertainty, the self-doubt, the pain and sorrow, and the worry and the fear with as much grace and poise and the patience and strength and the determination and the faith and with as much love as she did. And even when she wasn't sure that she could be, even before she knew she was, she was his mother. And she's the mother of my child. And to me, every day is Mother's Day. Every story has a special beginning. And had it not been for her, I would have never known the honor and joy of being his father, of having a beginning of the special relationship that I have with my born, and being able to share my adventures with you, adventures with my Pooh Bear companion, my junior. And it's because of her that this story continues. But this story is the first of many stories to come.